Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to focus our discussions on, thi- on on discussions that will challenge you to change the way you think about workplace ministry, your mission field, and your life in Christ. And today we've got coming on the show, Rick Box, CEO of the Integrity Resource Center. And yes, you may recognize that name because each day we do, we, we have, Rick has a spot on our show called the Integrity Moment, sponsored by the Christian Chamber of Commerce, Tampa Bay. And so you're going to recognize his name. You're going to recognize his voice. Rick Box with Integrity Resource Center. Welcome to the I Work For Him show. Oh, thanks, Jim. Great to be on here with you. Yep, great. I'm, I'm glad that Andrea was able to track you down. Did the time change catch you off guard? Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize about that. Yeah, I, I know it was supposed to be a 5 o'clock show, 4 o'clock your time, but I'm, I apologize, and I'm grateful that you, of your flexibility to be able to jump on the show. You know, I just got done finishing reading your book over the weekend in the, in the PDF form, which that's not my favorite, because now I can't underline, and i got to go back and, and, uh, and do all that. But your heart and your passion for integrity in the workplace and the power of integrity in leading people to Christ 
just came out so evident in, in, in your book. And your passion for really leading people in a Christ-like fashion in the workplace is, is really, it's almost overwhelming because your, your, your website is so full of resources at integrityresources.org. Rick, I want to thank you for your leadership in the industry. And I know that you've been part of this movement for a very long time. I know you've been on the air, you said, since 1996, was it? Well, I've been I've been working in kind of this whole faith at work space since uh, 1995. Since 1995, almost 20 years. It's fantastic. All right, so what I want to do before we get into the conversation, I really want you to just talk about how Christ is making a difference in your life today. Mm. Well, God is just so good and gracious that, uh, you know, after all of these years, in the early years, it was... Uh, <laughs> It was such hard dirt. No one was talking about faith at work, and people thought I was from Mars. And so just to look at God's uh, sustaining ability uh, with this ministry over the years and just blessing us with so many opportunities, you know, we just see God's hand in what we do every day, and it's just so powerful to, you know, whether it's taking a few minutes to, provide some phone counsel for a struggling business person that's, you know, maybe on the uh, brink of bankruptcy and, and trying to help them through that, or whether it's speaking to a, a large group of people and just sharing with them about the, uh, the journey that I've had and faith at work and the importance of that, and helping people just understand their calling. And so every day we just see God's grace and mercy and the opportunities that we get and uh, and just are so blessed to be a part of all that. Yeah, it it is a huge blessing, and and you're one of those leaders. Your your integrity moments are now on. You, I think you said over 250 radio stations across the country. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Hmm. And that, that's fantastic because you're inspiring people all over the country to recognize their workplace as their mission field. And that's what the I Work For Him show is all about. You know, when you founded the Integrity Resource Center all those years ago, what led to that decision? What led you to saying, okay, I'm going to walk away from the corporate world and I'm going to found this organization? What caused you to do that? You know, it was because of a life change that I had in the marketplace. I was in banking and I had switched jobs, and I'd been running from God since I was a teenager. And I went to work for a bank president that uh, the first day I met him, he told me that uh, I needed to know his priorities if I was going to be working for him. And he said, God's first, my family's second, and this bank is third. And uh, I remember that just really standing out to me, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. But I uh, began working for this for this guy, and almost every day he was making decisions for that bank based on biblical principles and based on just God's truth, and that was how he made decisions. And so God used him to really impact my life as I worked for him for a while, and then I had kind of a dramatic conversion experience shortly after, and so over time, God just began giving me a deep passion for trying to dig in and understand what else does the Bible have to say about business, and how might I apply this in a practical way? And so I began searching for information, and I stumbled into uh, Larry Burkett's ministry in Atlanta, and 
started uh, reading the books that he had and went through a teacher counselor training program. And, and so God was just building the passion in my heart for business leaders. And then I was, uh, by that time, I was helping to run a small community bank that we decided to sell to a major holding company. And, and during that transition, as I was just praying about what was next for me, uh, God just kept putting it on my heart that uh, I, I constantly was asking, why isn't anybody teaching these principles to business people? And God was tapping me on the shoulder saying, well, that's what you're getting ready to go do. So go do it. <laughs> so, so you so had you been a church... leaped in. Had you been a churchgoer before your boss uh, introduced the idea of workplace ministry to you? I mean, or was were, did he introduce Christ to you at the same time? In essence, he did. I mean, I had uh, I was one of those kids that was raised in the church uh, as a kid and got baptized and all that. But as a teenager, I had a uh, a pivotal moment in my life that was not a good one that just kind of sucked me into the world. And so I just really rebelled and ran from God and just really had not been in the church at all for a long, long time until I started to work for this guy and and began seeing how Jesus really impacted his life in, in, right there in the business world. <laughs> and so it really was a—he, in essence, was a major part in bringing me to Christ. God used him to soften my heart and to show me the practical realities of Scripture. And I, I think I was always looking for something practical from it, because as a kid I knew the Bible real well that nobody ever made it practical for anything that I was passionate about. I love that, the practical realities of Scripture. So essentially, your boss was the only Jesus. That, I mean, he was real Jesus to you in the workplace. That was pretty powerful. So what led you to doing these integrity Absolutely. moments? What led, I'm sorry. What led you to doing these integrity moments on the radio? You know, that's an interesting story, Jim. I uh, Actually, one day I had a radio executive from a local radio station, and I had never met him, came and met with me, and he said, Rick, I think that there's a void in the marketplace, that somebody needs to do a short radio vignette on integrity in the workplace. Why don't you go do that? And I'm like, well, I've never done any radio. Why, why would you ask me? And he's like, well, I, I just thought of you, and I thought that you needed to consider this. Would you pray about it? And, you know, I, I have to admit I was probably a little skeptical and didn't know that I wanted to go down that road. I, but I told him, yeah, I'll pray with it if you pray along with me. Uh, before the end of the week, I had another radio executive from another radio station, that, and they didn't know each other came to me and asked me the exact same thing. Now, I'm not a real bright guy, but if that sends a lightning bolt twice, I, I think I can usually listen. And so I was like, okay, well, what's it going to take for me to do this? And they both said, well, you probably need to have about 90 days worth of material in the can, so why don't you get writing? Whenever you get done writing it, you know, we'll get them recorded and you can move forward with that. And so I began writing them, and uh, uh, the funny thing was is after I got the uh, 90 days' worth in the can, I, I had had some friends that said, well, if you're writing this anyway, why don't you go ahead and email it out? So I started emailing it to people, 
And I started getting email responses back in Portuguese and in Spanish, and I'm scratching my head saying, I wrote this in English. Why are you asking me questions in Portuguese? <laughs> and I checked around and found out that there was an international ministry that began rebroadcasting these integrity moments, and they just forgot to tell me. And at that time, they told me that they were going out to over a million people at the time in a bunch of different languages. And uh, uh, so all of a sudden, it was having a big impact by email. And then I went to the radio stations, and both guys had resigned. <laughs> Rick, and I got the radio it. I got it. Said, well, it's a nice idea. As you as you had gone to. Uh, writing up 90 days of all of this curriculum and you started uh, uh, or of these radio shows and you started recording you went you called back those two radio executives and they had disappeared and then i had interrupt you so i apologize finish your story from there on how you came to doing these daily minutes integrity minutes yes well those those two radio executives disappeared and the radio stations told me well it's a nice idea but we'd have to charge you a lot of money and that wasn't the original agreement and so I, I really was kind of puzzled and remember just kind of asking God, you know, why why did you put me down this path? And then they're not getting on the radio. And uh, God just kind of reminded me, well, look how many people you're reaching by email, a lot more than you would have on this local radio. And uh, But I knew that at some point it would come together. And then a few years later, after uh, having the, the written versions going out every day, uh, I ended up having a talk show radio program on a local station here. As part of it, they agreed to uh, carry the Daily Integrity Moments. And so that was kind of our launch of it. And then uh, a local Christian radio station heard those Daily Integrity Moments and said, you know, we would carry those for you for free here if you just wanted to carry them here. And and uh, they had a whole network of uh a lot of stations around the country, and so that was kind of the beginning of being able to get those out on a regular basis. So why the focus on integrity? Was there something personal in your life that really drove home that point on why integrity was such a hot button for Rick Box? You know, it was a hot button for me because all those years that I was running from God, I was driven completely by whatever was best for me personally. And so I did a lot of things in the business world that uh, completely lacked of integrity. And so it was a personal thing to me that when Christ came into my life and began changing me, I began realizing and looking back on all of the trouble I had caused other people because of my own greed or selfishness or my own personal agenda. And so I really uh, have a passion for helping business leaders to realize that money is a huge snare Mm. and can get people in a lot of trouble, and that God wants us instead to put Him first, not money first. Yeah, I think it's amazing at how many Christians just deny that. I, I have, I have lived and breathed it as I've watched some of my friends become very, very successful and then really walk away from their faith in the Lord. They, they put their dependence on themselves instead of the Lord. That money is such a temptation. We're talking, we're talking now some significant money. You know, making millions of dollars, having millions of dollars in assets. But it's the assets that become a distraction as they start to accumulate. But it is the, it's the ability to make. 
a lot of money, it really becomes a deterrent to deepening your relationship with your Heavenly Father because you be de- you become dependent on yourself. Now, that's not true for everybody that's making big money, but it is a huge distraction. It's a huge issue. It sure is. And also, if you think about ethical decisions that come our way day in and day out, money is almost always attached to it. And so there's a instant motivation for us to do the wrong thing. And so it really is uh, a challenge sometimes for us to try and look at it from God's perspective and try and sort out, how am I going to navigate through these challenging ethical waters and do it in a way that's pleasing to God? Mm. You, you uh, I'd love to jump into that part. Now, you shared a story at the beginning of your book, it's right around page 40, of how you and a buddy, I can't remember his name right now, uh, were out in the field, and you got called back to the office saying, Rick, you got to get back here right away. And you got back to the office, and you pull up, and your boss is writing down the license plate of your car. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the most uh, humiliating days of my life, because that was back in the in the era when I was all about me. And so I had experienced uh, a co-worker that had filled his uh, gas tank up with gas and charged it to the company, even though it was his personal vehicle. And I tucked that information away and got back from college one summer and was working for the same company. And and uh, things were a little tight, and I found myself at that gas station, and I remembered that experience that he had had. So I filled up my car and told him to put it on the company charge. And and uh, several weeks later, they called me and said, the boss is here, and he wants you to come down to the office. And as I was walking to the office, I saw him standing behind my car, writing down the license plate number. And in that instant, I knew what was about to happen, and I knew I wasn't going to like it. And I was so humiliated that I was so stupid to take advantage of this company that had been so kind to me to give me a job to help me work my way through college, and I paid them back by stealing from them. Mm. And so from that experience, I just never wanted to have that feeling again of embarrassment as somebody confronts you with you know, doing something that stupid. And so it's always a reminder to me that I want to help other people so that they don't make the same stupid kind of choice. Yeah, it's way easier to operate in truth, and you never have to worry about who you've told, what you've told. And and it just and then when people start to question your integrity and go, yeah, I that's just not me. You're you've got something wrong here. You know, in your book, and as we as we kind of turn into the integrity discussion in your book you mentioned so i just love this this is just a great line you said hey we can't operate our companies according to family values that's just not good enough why is that <laughs> well you know actually there is a uh, survey that uh, the Barner research group did and they asked people how they make their ethical decisions and they ended up grouping those into four major categories, and the biggest category were people that said that they made their ethical decisions according to what pleased them personally, and that was 44%, I believe, of the audience said they made their decisions according to what pleased them personally. Well, that's, you know, that's crazy. I mean, do you want to run a business when you know that 
40, more than 40% of your employees are making decisions according to what they're pleased with rather than what's ethical. But the second group, where 17% of them said that they made their ethical decisions uh, according to family values. And if you just think that through, I spent quite a bit of time uh, one week with a, a guy that came to speak for us, uh, for our organization, and uh, he went to prison for running his business according to family values because his family was the mafia. And so it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, you know, not everybody's family values are going to be one that you want demonstrated in your workplace. Therefore, you need a consistent standard, and the only consistent standard is really biblical values. They're time-tested, they've been around for thousands of years, and they are objective because God is the one that made them instead of you or I. Mm. And and it's so true, and you can rely on the biblical source of those integrity and those decision filters. I mean, it it's tried and tested. I mean, the book is over 4,000 years old. The, the history is 6,000 years old. And time and time and time again, when people compromise their integrity, they suffer consequences. When they uh, abide by their integrity, it, it usually works out for them. And that's what I really want to go with the second half of our conversation after the top of the hour, is really looking at those... You know, what is integrity, the, the pillars of integrity that you talk about? But you mentioned, I just want to ask this question. What does integrity look like in the workplace? Well, I think that uh, there's a different view of integrity that the world has compared to what God's book tells us. And the world oftentimes says integrity is a moral relativistic view, meaning whatever you think is right, then do that. Well, that's not consistent across the board. But God's view is, is he made the rules, we have a rule book to follow, and when we follow it, it actually goes better for us. And so I think just abiding by God's standards and realizing what they are is what true integrity is, instead of just doing whatever pleases myself personally. But that's one of those difficult things because, you know, you, I, you've been going to church now, probably since you came to Christ almost 20 years ago. I, I've been going to church, really, I had a drug problem as a kid. My parents drugged me to church three times a week. It's, so I've been going to church 48, yeah, I know, I, I put that in there just as a, you know, I should have a bum ching, but don't do it, Andrea, it's okay. Um, you know, 48 years I've been going to church, but I've never heard a full sermon, and I've only heard a couple of them at a couple of churches that I was visiting, a full sermon on here's how you apply biblical God's biblical standards to the workplace. Here's what integrity looks like in the workplace. Right. Yes, unfortunately, the, the church, by and large, hasn't caught up to this, but some are starting to. There is hope. We're starting to see some significant churches step up and begin teaching. Actually, I'm blessed that I go to a church that our senior pastor actually wrote a book called Work Matters, and he that's on top of my desk fairly frequently around the country that's one of the books yeah. i've got to read in the next couple of months uh, that's a good one yeah and i'm sorry about the whole time zone thing yes kansas and florida we are off and i apologize if i hadn't i'm pretty sure i said in my email eastern but i didn't mean to catch you off guard i, I hope that whoever we interrupted can forgive me that's all i could say i apologize oh no 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 
All right, so let's let's define integrity for the audience that's just signing on right now and for the audience that's been listening. Let's define integrity. Then I want to go through these pillars of integrity so that we can really talk about it at the end how do we create a culture that exemplifies and rewards integrity. I want I want to go through that in this in this half hour. So define integrity for me or, or describe it for me. You know, Jim, most dictionaries would say that integrity is strict adherence a moral code of ethics. And the minute that you hear that, it begs the question, well, whose code of ethics? And that's where the problem comes in, is people trying to determine whose code of ethics that they want to adhere to. And I think that what I see is you have business ethics programs in colleges today that even if they are teaching business ethics, which many have gotten away from, they teach it from a moral relativistic viewpoint because they don't want to engage any religious teachings. Well, how can you bring your whole self to work if you're not bringing your religious upbringings or your core values or your morals into the equation? And I think that is a big, big challenge that we have in the business world today is because nobody wants us to bring our faith to work, but yet they want us to be ethical. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> People need to be able to bring all of themselves to work. No, and that's, you know, that this whole mamby-pamby political correctness movement that is just ridiculous in our country, to, to say that, you know... <sighs> that they've got any moral code and yet they remove God from the issue, then, then they really can't. I mean, cause it, you know, cause everything is okay. And I had Brad Bright on the show months ago and he, and he said, listen, Jim, racism's not wrong. Uh, you know, homosexuality is not wrong. Adultery is not wrong. Uh, murder is not wrong unless the God of the Bible exists. And in the basis for your moral code, I mean, ISIS in Iraq has a moral code. Okay, but I don't think it's the kind you want to run your local community by. You know, uh, you know, Hitler had a moral code. Mussolini had a moral code. Vladimir Putin has a moral code, but it's not a godly biblical moral code. So it's that's tough. You know, I I was told one time, Rick, and 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 I love this. I'm not sure I can, you know, verbalize it best. But you know, integrity isn't doing doing what you should do. When you're being watched, it's doing the right thing even when you know somebody's not looking. Right. I'm not sure that's the best way to say it, but you know, just being able to be counted on. I mean, integrity of a of a board or integrity of steel goes that hey, I can count on that. I know that that's been tried and true and tested. I can put my faith in that, and that's really what we have in Christ. We have something that is tried, true, proven, and our heavenly Father provided that relationship for us, so we could know that it is reliable. So Jesus has integrity. Therefore, if we're going to follow Christ, that should be the number one. That that should be a feature of our lives. Yes. Great point. Well, you're supposed to be making a great point. I'm just the radio talk show host. All right, so, so let's talk about. You, you said in your you said in your book that uh, I wanted to just read it. You said, "Listen, there are five pillars of integrity in business, which the Bible consistently stresses, and many companies have proven helpful in developing a workplace with integrity." So you said five pillars. So let's talk about these five pillars. You said your number one pillar is fear of the Lord. Yes. That is the core difference 
between a biblical worldview and the world's idea on integrity. Because the world wants to be able to withhold, I mean, to hold on only to whatever they believe is their values. But if we truly understand Scripture, and many churches have gotten away from it, they don't want to talk about the fear of the Lord. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God, and it's really both. If we truly have a healthy fear of the Lord, out of our love for Him, we will show Him the reverence and respect that He is due. And so it's the fear of the Lord, realizing that somebody is watching us. It may be dark, it may be in a quiet place, and we think that we can get away with it, but God is watching us. And whenever we make ethical decisions with that in the forefront of our mind, then it really, really helps us to have a healthy, ethical framework to work from. You know, and and understanding what the fear of the Lord is, I mean, that's one of those things where I've struggled at first because I'm thinking, well, I don't want to walk shuddering in fear, yet it's a reverence thing, but it is it is a fear because God has, I mean, God can, if he wants us to, he just can, you know, smash us with his finger. I mean, if, I mean, if, if he wants to take us out, we're gone. So there, we do have to have a, a reverence and awe, but the fear, he doesn't want us to walk in fear. And, and if we're walking with him and we're not living in sin, there, there is no basis for a true fear kind of fear, the way, way Americans think of fear. But it, right. it's, it's a fear kind of a reverence thing. Am I getting that right or not? Yes, you are absolutely. Uh, the word and the translation, I think, makes it challenging in our language that we have a tendency to think immediately of this, this trembling fear. Now, that certainly can and is a part of it, but it's also this reverence and this respect of an almighty God that created everything. But I kind of liken it to, you know, as a child, when I would mess up, my mother would tell me, well, you wait till your father gets home. <laughs> your mom said that and to you, have, too? Oh, my. Yeah, and, I, and I would have this fear of when my father was going to get home. Now, I loved my father. And, and so this fear didn't take away from my love of the Father, but it gave me a healthy respect of his position of authority. And likewise, God has a position of authority over us, and he wants us to fear that position of authority because he's the one that set the standards, and he's the one that said that there will be consequences if we do not abide by his standards. <laughs> now, did you ever put a book in your pants to block the spanking? That's all I want to know. Yeah, yeah, I tried that. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work for me, probably. Yeah, it didn't work. All right, speaking of books, it's time for a book highlight segment brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Hey, Karis Christian Books and Gifts have been part of the Largo community for over 29 years, located in the center of First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks on Olmerton Road in Largo. Their 2,400-square-foot stores open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at shopcaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S.com. Be the first person to call into the studio line at 855-265-2929, and I will We'll send you a copy of the book that we're talking about right now today, written by Rick Box, How to Prosper in Business Without Sacrificing Integrity. That's right, a book by our speaker and author today. Hey, if you desire to prosper in your business, 
in your business life, but do it with integrity. This book is a must for your library. The Bible has a time-tested wisdom that is applicable to your business. This book outlines timeless biblical truths and their practical application to help you prosper in your business without sacrificing your integrity. Call into the studio line right now. I've got one copy to give away. 855-265-2929. 855-265-2929. If you want to learn about the biblical perspective on integrity, get this book. 855-265-2929. And remember, you need to read this book because Rick is it gonna make a movie. All right, we're back with Rick Box, CEO of the Integrity Resource Center. Okay, so number one pillar of integrity was fear of God. Number two is honesty. Now, that seems pretty simple, honesty. But and a lot of people, they put honesty and integrity together in the same box, but it's not the same. No, honesty is a part of integrity, but it's, it's separate. I mean, it's being truthful in all ways and making sure that you're communicating consistently. And sometimes honesty means that uh, you're not hiding things as well, because sometimes we can deceive people by what we don't say. But honesty is, is about being above board, letting people know exactly uh, you know, what the truth is in a way that's all, always done with love. But still, truth is critical, especially truth is so important to commerce. I mean, if you think about business transactions, if nobody wants to do business with someone that they can't trust mm. because they're not honest with you. That is so true. Okay, so we got, of the five pillars of integrity, we've talked about the fear of the Lord, honesty. Coming up, we got trustworthiness, excellence, and the servant heart. Listen, we're talking with Rick Box, CEO of the Integrity Resource Center. So, Rick, we talked about, we're starting to talk about the five pillars of integrity. And in this last segment, I really want to highlight the last three. But the first one was the fear of the Lord. And the second one was honesty, which seems pretty simple, but people really don't, they, they, they really think there's a difference between telling a lie and telling a white lie, between telling a lie and not telling the whole truth. They really, yeah. they really do compromise there all the time. Yes, I just uh, wrote an article recently about, uh, I, I read an article on LinkedIn by a guy that is proposing that everybody should lie during interviews to the HR department because, in essence, his view was is that they're incompetent and that they probably aren't looking for the same person that the ultimate manager is looking for. And so he proposes that everybody should lie to him. Now, <laughs> now those lies are going to be uncovered at some point in time in your career with them, and it's going to undermine your trust immediately with who you know, provided that you even keep your job. And so there's there's a lot of people that propose that honesty is not even critical any longer. Yeah, no, that's for sure. You're like, why? If nobody else is honest, why should I have to be honest? But it's sure. so much, what I have learned since I started walking with the Lord, now this is as a 13-year-old, I don't know that I perfected the not lying thing till I was, you know, further along in my walk with the Lord, but I have learned that it is so much easier just to tell the truth, even though it's painful at times, but that pain in having to be honest about stupid stuff that I've done has convinced me to do a lot less stupid stuff. 
because <laughs> I don't because I don't want to have to feel that pain. All right. So number three is trustworthiness. That's the next pillar of integrity. Talk to me about trustworthiness. Well, you know, Jesus talked about, you know, he who's faithful with a little will be faithful with much. And if we want to be a person of integrity, especially in the business world, money is such a huge part of it. And therefore, we need to be trustworthy with what God has blessed us with. And that means we're, we're looking out as a steward trying to do the best that we can in managing the resources that God has given to us. And that's both money and people and any resources that God might entrust to us. So trustworthiness is a critical pillar of integrity because we just have to live that out and model it before people will want to trust to us even more of their Resources. I think you just said a huge thing. And, you know, a lot of people, when they think about trustworthiness or stewardship, they think about, you know, handling the money and possessions that God has given them in a grateful fashion. But because this is a, a show about workplace ministry, the trustworthiness, the stewardship of the people that you've been entrusted to is monstrous because yeah. of the fact that that's the most valuable asset we have. And we need, we desperately need to be stewarding though to be a good steward of those people and to make sure that we are being an example of christ for them each and every day yes absolutely all right i mean i know we're moving fast and i i hate this but let's talk about excellence because that's something that i i, I read it in a book i can't remember if it was yours or another one i read so many books but just how how somebody that they, they were at a conference i think it was it was one of your um I, I'll just say it, and you can tell me whether it was one of yours or whether it was somebody else's, but they were, they were speaking at a conference, and a dishwasher came up and said, hey, I never realized that what I do and how I do it to God's glory is important, that excellence actually brings glory to God. I had no idea. Yes. Yeah, and that's very true, is we can bring glory to God with just simply doing an excellent job in the work that we've been given. And so many people have a sense that their work really isn't important unless it's giving money to the church. And we need to just dash that mindset, because God made us all with unique skills and abilities and knowledge, and he gave us and assigned us specific roles and responsibilities that we're qualified to do. And we want to do those in a way that really shines the light of Christ to others. And that means we have to begin with excellence. I know a lot of people that get excited about evangelizing others around them in the workplace. But if their work is being done shoddily, then it's going to undermine any opportunity that they have to witness to others. So excellence is a critical factor. And the difference in excellence, I think, biblically, is is that God gets the glory for what we're doing, because God is the one that created us, gave us those abilities, and he wants to work through us so that people are pointed to Christ 
Mm. And I think that that's a big difference. It's a huge thing, and people need to hear that more and more and more because our excellence in our work really does attract attention to Christ because people are going to go, why are you, why? Why do you do work that way? You could cut this corner. You could do that corner. You're always working. You're, and you're, you're, you, don't have to, you don't take breaks. You don't talk with it, whatever it may be. But that excellence is such a huge thing. Okay, the fifth pillar of integrity. First, we had fear of the Lord. Then we had honesty. Then we had trustworthiness. And we had excellence. And the fifth one is a servant heart. Now, Christ demonstrated that better than anybody of what a servant heart really looks like, always putting people in front of themselves, regardless of position. And he was God, and he put everybody in front of him, including washing the feet of his disciples, who about an hour and a half later would run away from him and desert him. How do you interpret this fifth pillar, a servant heart? How do you put that into place? You know, it's all about humility and knowing that we are there to serve others. And in business, it really ties in nicely with excellence as well, that if you truly want to be excellent, it's because you're serving others and you have a servant's heart. And so the quality of our service and our products oftentimes comes out of that humility because we really want to look for ways that we can serve those around us. Sometimes that means we're serving our own employees or staff Sometimes it's serving our customers, but ultimately it's about that servant's heart, which means humility. And the contrast to that is pride and arrogance. And we've all seen prideful people in the workplace that they run roughshod over everyone, that they treat people poorly, and that it's all about them, and they want you know, more for themselves. And that is not God's way. Uh, I remember, Jim, one of the lessons I learned with that bank president that I mentioned earlier that had an impact in my life was I was climbing the corporate ladder with the intent and the understanding that as I got higher and higher up, I would have more and more people serving me. And so that was a big motivation for me. And so when I was working for this bank president, one day he announced to the whole bank that he wanted all the employees to drive their cars around back because he was going to spend the day washing cars of every staff member. And I remember pulling him aside saying, hey, this is not a good idea. (laughs) I don't know what you are thinking, but you're the president. These people should be washing your car. And he just smiled at me knowingly because he knew what he was doing, and it was because of that day of washing cars that whenever he finally was asked to go lead a different bank, Almost every employee in that place called him and begged him to hire them away to go to work for him because they knew that he had a servant's heart and that he had their interests at heart. Mm, What a powerful message to end on. I'm so glad you shared that. It's just so great. Listen, if people want to find out more about you, they go to integrityresource.org, integrityresource.org. Correct? I said that right, didn't I? Okay, integrityresource.org. Don't go yet. Listen, on tomorrow's show, Martha and I will be talking about margin, balance, and time. You know, it's the holidays. How are you coping? How can we do a better job utilizing the time God has given us? You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.